0: And thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Angley joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy?
1: Hi, Ryan. Good to talk to you.
0: Good to talk to you as well. So today, we are, today we're fulfilling a suite of uh, listener requests that go back a long way. We're, uh, we got a recent one on, uh, to, to hit uh, Hegel uh, hard and heavy um, after our um, what a friend of mine described as a uh, challenging look at the Mother's Day episode, was what uh, someone said about our last episode. Uh, so, um, we are going to talk about um, the first major section of Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit, and uh, which is uh, three concepts that are um, inextricably related, and thinking this inextricable relation is like one of the big um, points about thinking along with Hegel. And so we're looking at sense certainty. We're looking at perception and we are looking at uh, force and understanding. Um, and uh, this is, um, this is difficult. Eh, Todd? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> but we're going to try to, we're going to try to make it um, explicable, particularly the last section. Um, but uh, what, un- so I don't know how long ago it was that we did an episode on the preface um, but it was a while, um, and uh, we are picking up kind of where we left off. Um, but we are skipping the uh, the introduction. Uh, we'll just so, do a
1: brief little thing yeah. Just about do a it, brief please. thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about it.
1: So I just was going to say that the, his point is really to talk about what he means by phenomenology in the in the introduction, and it it nicely distinguishes his version of phenomenology from what we know as phenomenology today. That is Husserlian phenomenology and mm-hmm. his idea is just really that he we're going to look at the way in which knowledge functions and compare knowledge with its object and then mm-hmm. trace the experience of knowledge knowing its object and that's basically the outline for what how he's going to proceed during the rest of the phenomenology
0: yeah that's huge and i think it's worth underlining that that um that it's the it's the phenomenology of spirit. And this is maybe something even to talk about, too, um, because they're, like, obviously different translations. Um, and uh, one translation, of course, uh, we, we talk about um, many times has the the great line uh, in the um, – it it's in the preface, right? It's in the preface, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, from the Bailey translation. Yep. It's the spirit only rises to its truth uh, once it has been utterly uh, torn asunder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's you know beautiful, uh, and then it, it, it's just lost in all the any of the other uh, any of the other uh, translations, uh, but but very very famous. Um, and they
1: even what's interesting, Ryan, is they lose the causality. So, oh, Bailey makes it seem, and this is true to the German, that it's being torn asunder that causes spirit to find its truth. Mm-hmm. And and they the other translations, the Miller, the Pinkard, the Inwood, even they make it seem as if spirit finds its truth, then it fi- finds itself radically torn asunder or utterly torn asunder. And they don't even use torn asunder. So it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah, it's interesting that it's the opposite, right? Like it's it's the being, and I think it's such a great idea and so essential to what Hegel's going for. It's that only when you find yourself in this, the, the word in German is absolute serisenheit, like you're absolutely torn apart. Mm. Like that's the only time that you ascend to your truth. And I think that combination of going down into destruction and then going up into truth that's the that's the great hegelian thing and i think that's only communicated by the bailey translation but as you were hinting at or mentioning that bailey calls it the phenomenology of mind he translates geist as mind so that yeah. makes that you know we i think we have to leave that translation behind unfortunately
0: yeah right and that cuz that Use of the word mind we were talking about this before that only really like the, uh, that only works if you understand mind the way Shakespeare understood it as a you know um as an Elizabethan and uh, like this this thing that is actually divorced from the body, this thing that is like like completely like outside of it and um, collective right like I mean yeah, that's the other yeah. that's the other
1: yeah. thing that that we don't see mind. Unless we're the Borg, we don't see mind as
0: collective. <laughs> <laughs> nice throwing yeah. that in there. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's so so that's a bit of a so that's a bit of a problem. Um, but it also like I think it's good too to um, to separate because I think this like trips people up like from Husserl or if you um, even people coming at um, phenomenology in film studies is about the film experience like in the literal. Mind like I think that that's that's kind of what Vivian Subcheck gets at in oh, like you know so right. um, when what Hegel's doing is different and it's right, it's like right. it, like we you know it's the um, the the if, if you you could think of the title as the the phenomenology of experience but you need to understand that you know it's experience that is understood as spirit and when you understand experience as spirit you you start to think alongside Hegel
1: right right that's great that's that's a that's really well put and i think it's great that that it what's first and foremost is spirit and then phenomenology is what spirit goes through and the way in which we can understand spirit and that's why in this introduction what he's saying is this comparison of knowledge and object that's what <laughs> experience is so he's even redefining what it means to experience something that that to experience something is to experience this disjunction between what you know and the object that's being known. And then Mm -hmm. how you think through that disjunction is the, is that is phenomenology. Right. So that's, I think it, that it's, it's, so that, that's what he sets up in the introduction. I think it's really essential.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, and like, as we are like talking and playing this episode, like if you, if you hear, um, echoes of things that sound very psychoanalytic, you are hearing this, correctly like i mean like even what you just said todd about like like looking at the disjunction or looking at the like the the gap or you know like like an idea even an idea is like fundamental to lacan such as the real right This like this like this point of impossibility that is is not um like cannot be brought into the symbolic but nonetheless is that which holds it together like like you i i I would hope that the listener would be be able to see like in this episode like that um perception can only really come through like, like through like a, like a Hegelian, um, uh, framework.
1: Absolutely. But isn't this just such a testament to (laughs) Slavoj's immense importance as a a thinker? Like, I think we, I don't think anyone, inclusive (laughs) of Lacan himself, (laughs) understood the impact and the the affinity between Hegel and the psychoanalytic project until Slavoj came along. So I think really like, to me, that's his really outsized. I mean, I I understand the theory of ideology is really important and Mm -hmm. a lot of this notion of the obscene underside is really important ideas that he comes, comes up with. But I think this thing, this ability to see the way in which Hegel was already doing these things that are crucial to the psychoanalytic project Mm -hmm. It's really he, I mean, I think if he didn't exist, we wouldn't even be able to say that. Like it's, you know, he makes it evident.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Like that, I mean, that is, I mean, that's probably a pretty good way of, um, oh, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's also a Hegelian insight, is it not? It is. You have, you have have progress. uh, Um, and I think this is worth thinking about like social progress, social justice, or like, like intellectual progress, whatever you you know, progress when the um, antagonism change changes, or if you don't like the word antagonism, like when just the, um, the the just the situation changes, and 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 or it becomes impossible to think in any other way other than the the current way, and you kind of trace back how did that happen? How how do we get here? You know, and and that that tells you where like the like the the, the rupturous ideas that can that have like undergird the current situation like that's that that tells you um i don't know when, when something like uh, truly um uh, transcendent and then um foundational has occurred and this and this is one for um this obviously the the, the brand uh, if you like of psychoanalytic theory that we employ on this uh on this podcast is to you know to think along with continental philosophy and with uh lacan and that and you can get, you can get that in, in like a number of different people do that but it is i think as as you're right to say it is from uh slavoj and uh, like 1989 and uh you know the sublime object of ideology that all of this starts and like it it's it, it makes the ground for for all of this and and we just you we like you wouldn't know anything else now, like to, to, yeah, to dive yeah. into this field. Yeah, it's like you you, you you don't go before it anymore. It's just like the, this is where we are now.
1: Yeah. You know, I was once having a conversation with Joan Kopchak and she said, you know, Slavoj does, does all these perverse things and everything like that. She said, but he makes us possible. And I thought uh, that's really nice. I thought that was a great you know that was a great tribute because Joan is of course a great thinker in her own right, um, and for her to say that I thought was really really evident.
0: So anyway, but she's but, more more Kantian than Hegelian too. So that's, that, true. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. Like pretty, she
1: yeah. would. I don't know how much she would even be uh, simpatico with what we're going to say today. <laughs> so, point, with what we yeah. just said, even yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. But anyway, so sense, sense certainty. So I think mm-hmm. so 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 sense certainty. I think is one of the most. It's one of those sections in the phenomenology, i said these to you before, that, mm-hmm. that the preface, sense certainty, and the master-slave dialectic, they're just these three beautiful pieces of writing, I think, that just really mm-hmm. stand out, especially in reference to the next two sections of consciousness, which the writing <laughs> descends pretty rapidly. Um, well, yeah,
0: it, it's, so it can rise to its truth, as we just said. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: Very good. Very good. Because I do think, actually, that force understanding, there's some incredible insights there. But it's, it's as we've talked about, it's it's a, it's a really tough, tough sledding. Mm-hmm. But sincerity isn't that tough sledding. I mean, so he's dealing with what we imagine is the most immediate knowledge. So I think mm-hmm. this distinction between mediation and immediacy is really yeah. important for this section that you start out looking at things that are out in the world. And how can, how can I, what can I be immediately certain of just by sensing them? And he, he goes through three, he says here, now, and this, like the mm-hmm. most immediate uh, apprehensions of our sensibility. And, and then he says, well, okay, I get them, but in order to, to sustain them, to make them into some kind of truth, what do I have to do, right? I have to, mm-hmm. and this I think, I found this always, I've always found this an interesting claim that he says a truth loses nothing by being written down.
0: Right. right, That is,
1: that that in order to, and so the problem with this here and now is that when you write them down, then there's a whole lot of thises, there's yeah. a whole lot of nows, and there's a whole lot of here's. So it's like whenever you try to say, Try to st- to grasp the moment now. You go now, and then you've miss it, right? Because you, yeah. it's not now, and that's kind of what he's getting at. But I think that that notion that truth can always be written has to be written down and can't lose anything. I wonder mm-hmm. what you think of that idea, because I think if you don't buy that, then nothing yeah. else makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. No, it's really good. Well, it, it's it's um, this is <laughs> this uh is important for, for i i think understanding like how to read hegel and and how to read uh you know systematic uh scholarly or, you know philosophical thought is that like it should begin and this i think this is true for for writer not not every um scholar certainly not every scholar writes this way though they should is that like uh to begin with a premise that is uh you know, primary that you that one needs to accept before moving on to anything else. Um, because and something that is I think endemic to our uh, political uh, moment uh, even like the intellectual moment is people start arguments very far along a thread and they don't start at the beginning we start like in the middle um, I was listening to uh, uh, a, a, I was listening to a, a, a soccer podcast and like one of the big things in England is like how are they going to restart the game amidst coronavirus and um, what the, one of the people in the conversation actually, uh, was saying like, you know, we need to have a, like a wider, uh, conversation about like what these governing bodies in England are even for. And he said, it would be great if in a meeting someone was asked, um, like, listen in a, in a paragraph, explain to me what, like, it's a new idea. What's the point of the football association? What is it trying to do? and like can we move from there for, and i thought like that's fantastic that's i was, yeah, I was that's like great. that's i was like that's 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 truly like that's that's truly hegelian like you're you're bringing it back to like primary like you know like first sort of principles and this is the um, and this is the first one that truth uh, cannot uh, lose anything uh, by being written down and that it needs to be written down and anyway so one of is the- that a
1: principle is because I think because I think Hegel okay. really 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 wants to create a philosophy without principles right like Interesting. This is his okay, ob- okay. it's his objection to both Fichte and Kant that he thinks hmm. you can't you know so 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 Nietzsche famously says that that the, the most important part of a philosophy is its beginning that your mm-hmm. beginning like it sets you on the path and then you, everything is determined from that yeah and Hegel absolutely hates that idea like his yeah. his idea is no it's really the ending that's decisive. And then because he's a, already a theorist of noctreglokite or retroactivity, right. mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. ending then retroactively determines what is important mm-hmm. about the beginning. And I so I think he doesn't – I think That's, for him yeah, – go ahead.
0: No, I, I see that. I just think that he can't – I don't think he can get around – You don't think it's this, possible? No, I don't think he can get around this being a principle and I don't think he can get around this being the starting point. Okay. Like, like, uh, I, 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 cause I, I've totally endorsed the, the, like, like retroactivity and, and like the, the, you know, uh, that there is a point, you know, uh, the, the, what, what's a great, uh, clean example, like a twist ending in a movie is this point at the end that retroactively like determines like everything that you've just seen. Right. Like, yeah. like um, right. um Okay, that's like retroactivity. Like I, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm there for that. Like as a way, both of understanding media and like you know theoretically, intellectually. But I, I think you think um, saying
1: that you have to write that a truth cannot lose anything by being written down is a principle to your mind. Yeah,
0: I think that everything. Well, I mean, don't you don't you think that everything has to then come back to that? Like I, I, that's that's why I think I would call this a principle because this phrase, like that, like this, like if this is later not true. Then I think the whole system falls apart.
1: Well, that, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I guess he would say he just. I think so. So instead in of principles, what Hegel mm-hmm. wants to say is everything that's true emerges out of out of well, what out of out of experience <laughs> itself, right? Like out the of okay, nothing, basically. Yeah. Because I think sure. that's why I, I, I kind of stumbled because it's it's basically out of nothing, like like because mm-hmm. his point like at the beginning of the logic, it's the dialectic of being and nothing. And here Mm -hmm. it's the, it's, 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 it's what, what can, I'm going to start at what seems like the most basic thing that is the immediate, immediate experience. Right. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really matter for him what the starting point is. He thinks you would always get to absolute knowing. So in a certain sense that he chose this starting point or another Mm -hmm. is contingent, but I guess your claim is if he didn't have this idea that a truth loses nothing by being written down, then the whole system would fall apart. And I think that's true, but I guess here's what he would say against you. I think what he would say is, what he would say is, no, the fact that a truth can lose nothing by being written down is actually implicit in the very notion of truth that we have, right? Like Mm -hmm. how can Mm -hmm. you, there's no way you can have a self-consistent idea of truth that changes mm-hmm. every moment. So that's all he means, that truth, can, by losing nothing by being written down, means truth can't just switch every moment. Yeah. His point is, then you don't have a self-consistent idea of truth if you don't have that. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, it's no, not no. like...
0: I, well, I, I think that, well, okay, so here's, I guess, obviously, Hegel a lot smarter than I am, but I my I think if if his issue is with the word principles, I think it's weak, Um In this sense that like, like I could see the objection to having um, principle because it sounds to me like Hegel would think having principles means doing the opposite of his method, which is you came to some sort of uh, conclusion and then you assert it. And then you move on from there without correct. having correct. shown. So correct, w- I su- so one hundred percent. I support that. So, so let me want, can let yeah, me yeah,
1: can yeah, I just right. interject? Because yeah, so, yeah. so instead of principle, let's use the word axiom. Okay? Ah, there we go. Yeah, sure. So so Badou says mm-hmm. he starts out his philosophy with a certain number of axioms. Right, like there's mm-hmm. an axiom of multiplicity that mm-hmm. being Badou thinks I have to presuppose as an axiom Mm -hmm. that being is multiple. And then, and then I can say, um, mathematics is ontology, right? Once Mm -hmm. I set, once I have the max, the axiom that being is, that, that, that being is multiple, then Mm -hmm. it just follows from that, Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: mathematics is ontology, right? But Mm -hmm. if you don't accept, which Hegel doesn't, by the way, (laughs) right, of course, the, the axiom that, that, being is multiple, then he would
0: say he would say, and I think to lay this out, he would say and psychoanalysis would say being is split. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Very good. Exactly. And so once you say that, then mathematics not only is an ontology, it's a it's a it's a it's a failed way. Yes. It's an undialectical, analytical way
0: mm-hmm. of
1: approaching being and existence. Right. So it mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so that, so that's why he thinks he is not proceeding with any axioms at all. So, Fichte's first axiom is I equals I, right? Like, that's the okay. first starting point. Kant's axiom is there's certain laws that govern the understanding, 12 categories, and mm-hmm. those are just, you just have to presuppose those, he thinks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hegel absolutely rejects that. He says, no, if we just look at the way that experience functions, we can proceed unaxiomatically. Mm-hmm. Now, by and here's this idea: by looking at the way in which experience itself tells us what it how to think about it, you know, mm-hmm. like it 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 has its own presuppositions inherent in it, and we can just pay attention and discover them.
0: Yeah, no, I see the I see the point, and I think for me, what it clarifies is Hegel's investment in his project not being one where he is imposing a a truth like he's, he's allowing, he's allowing truth to emerge. I think, uh, so, so I think that's totally like, I totally accept it. Um, I, I think that he has to, (laughs) I think he would have to accept, and maybe he would need, maybe this is where he would need, um, psychoanalysis, um, that despite that being the framework of your project, that you, one will say something that exceeds the bounds of the project itself and yep. actually become axiomatic. So okay. he, like his, so you can't, and, so,
1: so your idea is you cannot avoid axioms.
0: I don't think so. I think it's especially if you're trying to be clear, I think yeah. that you, you well, know, is he trying to be clear? Maybe, no, that's great. Maybe that explains why he's, maybe that explains why he's not. But, but like, I think, you know, if they're, um, yeah, no, I we think, take, well,
1: I mean, we tell, we, we try to write this way, right? Like we yeah. lay out your argument ahead of time. Yeah, And then so the person can follow it more easily. And and of course that's exactly we're do, what he, We're
0: trying to do it now, right? We're trying to do it right now. Yeah. And he's yeah.
1: exactly not doing that. Like yeah. my book on Hegel is an attempt to write in a very non-Hegelian way about Hegel because it lays yeah. out exactly what I think about it right... Or what I think he thinks right from the beginning. And so, mm-hmm. so but I mean, look, I, I take your... I mean, I got... It's a huge question. Like is... I think most people think mm-hmm. that there's no way to avoid axioms today, yeah. right? Like, and yeah. I think that you're right that that is the psychoanalytic. It's a way of saying your desire is written into your subjectivity,
0: yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Like
1: that's another way to put it. Like that's another way to to understand that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I, I guess what I guess what I know I that know. he
0: thinks no 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 I I see what the problem is because like Hegel clearly thinks for him to come off as axiomatic or for for it to come off as though he has principles it actually hurts the larger the whole point of his project which not hurts destroys destroys it okay. yeah, yeah 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 because um,
1: because yeah. because then someone could just say well wait a minute I just have another axiom
0: sorry yeah, yeah I just have yeah. a
1: different one sorry. But his whole Mm -hmm. point is, no, you have to look at the way in which the argument contains its own axioms and can be judged on its own terms, right? Like, that's what he's doing in sense certainty. He's looking at the way in which the immediate knowledge given to us by sense certainty is undermined not by by some external different kind of axiom, Mm -hmm. but by its own axiom. Like, it ends up It ends up asserting something that it can't, like when it tries to make a claim about truth, like this immediate experience is what's true. That's the only thing that's true is my immediate experience of my senses. And people Mm -hmm. think this. I think I I don't think this is a crazy position. I think it's a almost a common position. Mm -hmm. You know, what is what? Don't you think? Like, what is the most true is the thing that I most that I immediately sense with my just sense experience.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's a th- I mean this is the thing. I mean this is the thing I talk about all the time, right? Like uh um you know be here now. Uh, exactly. you know like live in the moment, right? Like right. this like th- uh, um I mean th- and there are extreme examples of uh Hegel's of, puking, right? Yes, like he Hegel, hears yeah, that he's yeah.
1: puking, right? He yeah. he hates that idea, right? Yeah. But that is the I think you hear that all the time, right? That that's the uh,
0: Absolutely. And like, well, I mean, and and then you have, I think like a lot of, I think, I think a lot. Okay. So I, I want, um, I want to come back at the end to the, to our, like sort of our question right here, um, about, uh, avoid, like, what can we do with the Hegel wanting to avoid axioms? Is this an axiom? I'm going to want to come back to that, but I want to, um, to just say here (laughs) now, uh, (laughs) that, (laughs) that, um, it is a dominant mode of like, there's a lot of, a lot of political discourse is taken up by, um, trying to come to grips with, uh, a number of sense certainty, uh, driven, uh, modes of thinking, one of which is the anti-vaccination. Uh, another of which is very uh, good flat earth, uh, flat earthers. And it's, um, also I just like really quickly on the anti-vax in, um, the LA Times calls these people vaccine skeptics and I just want to know who I have to pay to get socialists, communists and anarchists to be referred to as capitalist skeptics by the LA <laughs> Times? I just want to know the like how, how do we move to that kind of dignity? I just want to I want to know how right. that happened. But whatever right. anyway, okay. So yeah. but um these these are, like, modes of thinking or not, I guess, uh, that uh, rely entirely on sense certainty. And the flat Earth one is really funny because, like... Um, right, like, the, I don't like,
1: have a sense of the curvature, so it doesn't exist, right?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Sure, yeah. It's just like, or, like, all I know is what I've been told. And, you know, that's, like, that's where they start. It's like, you've just right. been told by NASA. Like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, like, right. the, you know, these pictures from the Earth, I, it can't be observed that way. Um, and... But here's the thing, like, so what, what that viewpoint, like, comes back to is that, like, I cannot know something outside of myself. Like, I haven't experienced the earth as round, so I can't say that it's true. And, like, that's, like, kind of where these, you know, where, where these, these things come back to. But then there is no chance that these people don't use the GPS on their smartphone. And w- I bring this up as an example is that, like, when I use GPS on my smartphone, it's because I don't know how to get someplace um, and I just kind of trust the phone knows how to do that. And that there's, of course, these people do the same thing. It's like, so wait a minute in that situation, which I'm oh, 100% happens or you use a map or something like, how would you get anywhere that you didn't like you weren't already at, at like that had to happen to some of these people at some point in their lives. You don't know all the places. So you had to have gotten somewhere where you've never been before. And what did you do? You relied on some knowledge that was outside of yourself to get there. And that's a for for Hegel in this like in this section of sense certainty is like where does sense certainty fail is that like it always relies on another uh, perception or another uh, just uh, 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 a piece of knowledge that is outside the knower to do anything. Like, you know, how, like, you know, it, it's not it's not being a troll to these uh to, to these flat earth people to be like, well, wait a minute. um, How do you know that the language you're using is going to be understood by everybody listening? Like and they'd be like, well, English speakers or whatever. And it's like, well, how do you know that English means the same to everybody who speaks English? Right. Like you could right. just go you could just go right. along that path. of, th- and, and and then and then what would they have to say? It's like, you're you're right. I don't know. So, and then it's like, so why are you doing this? Why would you say anything at all? Like, well, that's
1: just, the point. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the end point, right? That yeah. you've got to is that why would you say anything at all? Like, yeah. that's what you can force the the sense certaintyist, you can force <laughs> her to or him to avow that they can't say anything at all if you push their argument to its end point. And then what's yeah. interesting is Hegel thinks that this here and now, or whatever form that the sense certaintyist takes to articulate her, himself, that that, that, that. Is itself already speaking the language of the universal, right? That and mm-hmm. I love that he has this great line where he says, I, I may mean the sense particular, but mm-hmm. I always speak the universal. And and then he says something like language is more language is more true than my meaning, right? Like the Oh, that's very the, nice. It's again a psychoanalytic point. The very way localian, in which, yeah, yeah. Right. The way in which signification and meaning are split and mm-hmm. and my private meaning is really. The untruth is in my private meaning, whereas the truth is in the signification itself. So this is, Mm -hmm. you can see here, this is Hegel's idea of phenomenology, right? It's the comparison between I have my private meaning on the one hand, and -hmm. then I have what the signification of what I'm saying on the other hand. It's amazing, too, that he didn't have access to modern linguistics, right? Like, this is already, it's amazing uh, anticipation of of Saussure, I think that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. the the way in which this, the relationship between the signified and the signifier, he's already talking about that, even though he doesn't use the terms. And I think that that idea, that ability to say that the universal is on the side of signification and mm-hmm. the particular is on the side of my private meaning, and the, mm. what and then he, he uses this, he says, he d- distinguishes between the essential and the inessential. So the essential right. is the universal. The mm-hmm. inessential is my private meaning. And so I, I end up speaking and articulating the essential, the universal, even though I don't mean to. And I think that's what you're getting at with the anti-vax movement, that, mm-hmm. that they, they in their very act of speaking about vaccination, they're actually disproving their own sense certainty.
0: Right. Yeah. Because you, you have to – well, f- first of all, like, I mean, everyone – it's just like everyone who is on that side has had vaccinations. So like that, like that, cause that, that's just, this is how it is to, because they were like, cause this movement is very recent. So right, any, right. like, so anyway, so they, they have to, so the, they have to say like, they got lucky. Right. right. And, uh, it, right. you know, and, um, and of course, like so much of the anti-vaccine, uh, vaccine comes from like this fear of autism, which is itself like, uh, really, really awful. Um, and, but like, if you, if we push that, I've, I was having, I forgot, I was talking to somebody about this and I maybe even said this on this podcast before, like, like year, years ago now. Um, but if you pushed what our, um, our, you know, including like me in this, like what our, uh, push against the anti-vax position has been, has been one of like relentless science and knowing, and it's, it's, uh, been along the lines of. Of uh, what Freud writes in Wild Psychoanalysis that like like no, you know uh, knowledge cannot cure the symptom yeah uh, it, it's all been on that thing but we've we've pushed real real hard on that and b- been like scandalized that lo- logic and and reason <laughs> don't, don't work and I actually think that there probably was a moment where collectively like we could have said like hey. I know what you think you're saying is that you're afraid of vaccines, but you're actually afraid that you're a new parent and that something could happen to your child and there's nothing you could do about it. Right. Like that's actually what you're afraid of. Right. And, and, and then that changes the entire coordinates of the conversation. And, uh, but you know, but now it's like, now or don't you think,
1: don't you think what it is 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 repressed, aggression toward the child like the the parent wants to destroy the
0: child and they just have to express it through (laughs) this fear of the child's for the child's I, safety. Well, I like that a lot because it—it's a fear. I mean, it's a fear of the child's safety that like destroys the child. <laughs> like, right, right, exactly. Awful. So, so yeah, it's yeah.
1: perfect because you're actually yeah. able to achieve the repressed desire because you're yeah. you're putting the child at risk. Although you're really putting at risk. It's it's. I mean, the the, the reason why it's such an, a horrible position is you're putting at risk the people who are most vulnerable who yeah. cannot be vaccinated because of yeah. their immune system or something to do with something it like so that. so yeah. so mm-hmm. it's really it's a it's a it's an incredibly criminal position i think and i, I just i just frankly don't think it should be a li- i think it's like this is a case where you just don't sorry you don't get this choice like it's yeah like you want to live in like okay you don't want to live in the society you want to live out on a hut somewhere that's fine but if you're going to participate in the society sorry you got to opt in
0: yeah like that well okay so that's um I think that's where. So now we come back to our um, our original thing. I think that, um, I think that, that we come back here to like a uh, a first principle or an axiom, right? Which is that, like, uh, to have the if you want to enjoy, and I'm using a non psychoanalytic sense, if you want to enjoy the benefits of society while not engaging in it, sorry, like like you you know like like the, the there is something. That the the social in this particular kind of argument, the social is actually primary. It's actually before the individual, and I think that's something that the anti-vax and actually a lot of right-wing um, associated movements actually butt up against.
1: Well, that's the, right, I think that's the very premise of right-wing ideology, is the opposite yeah. of that. It's that yeah. the individual precedes the social order, that there's some kind of social contract formed. I mean, even liberalism is guilty of this, that yeah. that mm-hmm. there's a social, con- I mean, this is why Hegel hated the notion of a social contract, because he thought the social order was constitutive of the individual. So, you yeah. couldn't you couldn't come together for a social contract, like, the society made you, it made it possible yeah. for you to contract anything. So, yeah. it's yeah. the there's no there's no contract prior to the social so that so he's very contra Hobbes and Rousseau and Locke on this question right mm-hmm. so and mm-hmm. and all like even though Hobbes is conservative and Rousseau and Locke are liberal they're 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 they're, they're implicit in the same they have complicit. I mean, in the same way of thinking, that is that that, that they pose the individual as prior to the social. So I am not sure this is an axiom, or like you
0: have a, cho- or or like you have a choice. You have to, a choice, to, right, to, right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, right, yeah.
1: right. But I don't think it's an axiom, Ryan, because I think it's it, Hegel would say it's mm-hmm. the very definition of society, yeah, that that produces this, right? It's not mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. an
0: axiom of society. It is that mm-hmm. is society. Okay, so so axiom so. So Hegel would say like, like axioms are already, they're all, no matter what, they're already uh, secondary. They're already they Right. They're, right. They're, right. Okay.
1: right. Mm-hmm. That's his point. That's always yeah. his point.
0: Yeah. 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 Well I, okay. So I think to, I mean, like
1: we can have this as a point of disagreement, no, no it's <laughs>
0: interesting. No, of course. No, no. I just I, like my, I think, um, I think my, my, my thing on this is that you, the, the, the use and utility of, um, of, of thinking about Hegel as an axiomatic uh, thinker is that I actually think it would help people read him. And oh, I think, I, I absolutely and then, think that's true. And then if the point, so, okay, I'm glad you agree. Like, if the point then is that you have to abandon that, I think that's fine. Okay. So I think that's okay. where I, think that's, that's where I would, would come down in this, is that, like, right. if it, and I think that that's 100% Hegelian, is that, like, you have to proceed wrongly to understand at all. And, right. and, and so I think like his, his resistance to being understood along axiomatic lines uh, uh, like, uh, it's a non-Hegelian it's, resistance. It's a non-Hegelian, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah like, I like, think like, that's like a, a really
1: reasoning. good point. I think that's a really good point. Um, yeah, yeah. I like that idea a lot that, that he, I mean, he thought that like, he couldn't just say, and I think he could have said this, but he can't bring himself to just say, look, there are no axioms, but I'm going to present. This is what I'm going to be going for philosophically. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. present it in this way. But yeah. the, the but my whole point is that you cannot proceed axiomatically. Right. Right. Like, right. Like right, he right. could proceed. He could. He yeah. could present the idea that you can't proceed axiomatically in an axiomatic exactly. fashion. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because no, that's yeah. Right. right. No, it's perfect.
0: Because right. that because you. So you lay that down as the axiom, and then you, what you have to understand is why that's true. Right, right, yeah.
1: right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think you've, you've just hit, your, you've hit the nail right on why Hegel is such a hard figure to read and why you can write a book on him that makes it seem really clear and, and easy to understand because you mm-hmm. can write the book in a very axiomatic fashion, right? Mm-hmm. And like I, yeah. I, like I began my book with the end point, Not with the beginning point because, (laughs) you know, Hillary edits my things and she's like, "Okay, get to the point. Like, get the point up there in the beginning." She hates it when I write in a Hegelian way, right? Right, Like, she's like, "That sucks. No one wants to read through a whole thing without knowing what they're trying to find out." Right? Like, that's the whole point is to get the point in the beginning and then discover it how it manifests itself throughout. But Hegel refuses to do that. I really Mm -hmm. like your idea that. That it's his – because you're absolutely right that his idea is that you go through the false to get to the true.
0: Yeah.
1: So why wouldn't he see that in terms of axiomatic kind of learning method? You know? It's
0: interesting. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just like too, Like I I kind of think this is, a, it's a little funny, like Hegel being precious. Like maybe he thought that and like, no, no, that's a step too far. I can't like, I can't do that. I can't be meta about this or something. I don't yeah, know. I don't maybe, know. I don't maybe, maybe,
1: maybe it's interesting. You know, as a, as a, he was a terrible lecturer too, but one thing that he did was he, whenever you asked him a question and you, mm-hmm. this, what you said earlier reminded me of this, that he would, he would he wouldn't. He never had a pat answer ready, and he would hmm. he would try to think through the entirety of his program from the beginning in answering yeah. the most basic question that someone posed. So it really <laughs> oh, it reminded you know me of the. the sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it reminded me of your yeah. of your football example, right? Like oh the, yeah 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 like yeah. like you have to start from the whole basic like every time. Yeah, and right. it's maddening, but I think it's. I think he just couldn't bring himself like sometimes you can just answer the question in a very axiomatic fashion, but he would mm-hmm. refuse, he refused, he wouldn't do that. So well, it's, it's, it's interesting.
0: Like, yeah. It's an interesting approach to like, to, and I think that there's definitely some value to that. Like, like make sure that I don't know the thing that you're thinking or the thing that you're saying is like free of like an assumption that may have like, maybe he was thinking about the unconscious without the the word, like, like an, a. You know, an unconscious assumption that it's like attached itself to your thought and like you I just absolutely. like need, Yeah, you need to make yeah. sure, like like be like like the word uh, against that or at least be aware of it.
1: Absolutely. I think that's that's why he did it. Yeah. I think that's right. Okay, so if sense certainty always is implicated in the universal, that's why mm-hmm. he turned to perception, right? So perception avows the universal as the thing or the object, right? So mm-hmm. that's the move. That's the move from individual sense experiences to the perception of objects. So he ties perception to objects whereas mm-hmm. sense experiences are tied to fleeting moments, perceptions right. are tied to objects. And he identifies, this I found very interesting, he identifies perception with what he calls sound common sense. So mm-hmm. and that's because it distinguishes between things. Like perception just like let's just think about the things themselves. Like let's just mm-hmm. think about things and that's what perception does. And then it, it, the problem is that the initial problem for perception is how do you distinguish what's essential about a thing from mm-hmm. what's inessential? Like if I take off – like if I cut off your leg, yeah. are you still Ryan Angley? And you'd say, of course, I'm still Ryan Angley. But if I cut right. off your other leg and both arms, you'd still say – but, you know, yeah. so the question mm-hmm. is at what point does the thing cease to be the thing? I guess with a non-person, it's it's more interesting, right? Like if you take off half the ball, is it still a ball? I mean – yeah.
0: Well, isn't this, isn't this, um, the, like, um, when you eat a fish, like if you like, at, like at what point does that fish that you've just eaten stop being a fish
1: and become part of you?
0: Yeah. Become part of you. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's no, it's interesting. I, um, so before, before we go full into to perception, I want to nail down a couple things that, um, that I think are important to understand that for, for Hegel and we, but this is, part of the reason why I've been having the, the conversation like we have that truth is social,
1: right? Absolutely.
0: Right. And, Absolutely. And, and, and so sense certainty wants to avoid a, a universal at all costs. And and sense, certainty wants to be like, like utterly immediate and utterly like personal particular. And so when we move on to perception and we, we you just, it's, you just have to go on to, to thinking like, look, there's a reason why, and it's not just because you and I both know English, but there's a reason why when we talk to each other, it makes sense, you know. And and that there there are there are just things that you have to depend on to begin a, a conversation or an inquiry into anything at all. And let's take a like I would like we we have to move on there and then and then right, move forward right. and look at that and then also. We have to eventually move beyond that, so we're not there yet. But I, I just wanted to, to, to yeah, yeah, that's that good. That's really good. Yeah.
1: That's really good. And and, and percep and and that what we can depend on is the perception of objects, right? Like we can, yeah, yes. we can when we we enter a room together, we can look around and we can say, oh, we both perceive all these different objects in, in common, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right that perception, even though it's an individual process, is uh, implicitly a social phenomenon.
0: Yeah. 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 That's really, really nice. Um, and well, I think, um, I think this is a pretty good example. I wonder if you could talk through, like, isn't the, um, I had an, had a note that I want to look at is that like perception is, is, is where we start to see how Hegel understands difference. Right. And, and, and I think, and so, I mean, maybe a banal example of like, you know, if I, so I have a copy of the phenomenology of spirit, the the Miller copy, and you also have a copy, and I do. They're the exact same thing, right? But also, right. they're not different. So, right. like, yeah, so they're different. Like, and anyway, so for Hegel, could you talk through that as an as an example? Like, what does that show? Like, why is that important?
1: Right. So, so the 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 difference in objects is. So he wants to be able to distinguish between an object and its properties, right? Like okay. that's so that's where difference for mm-hmm. him gets really. I'll get to what your example in a second. Yeah, no, no, I, no, no. First, no, totally. I, I just want to talk just but that that yeah. that for so so he wants to be able to understand like how do you know an object is what's essential about an object and what are just the properties of an object mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. is there a certain property that we could say. Is essential to that object? Like, is it the what? Is it the color? I think most of the time, most of us would say it's almost never the color that's essential. Mm-hmm. Like, is this bottle that I'm looking at its whiteness? Is that make it? Is that whiteness essential to it? We'd probably say not. Is the shape of it essential to it? Well, maybe. Like, maybe the extension is mm-hmm. what's essential, uh, or maybe the way in which the 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 size is essential. Like, so some so, but the point is, he has trouble distinguishing. Or we have trouble during during perception distinguishing between what is essential, what is the object, and what is just the what is just the properties of the object. So he 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 the terms that he uses in the phenomenology are the one and the also. So mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. object is the one, and then these things these properties are just also, also, or and 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 of the also. So so his idea is that. How we can't with perception make this distinction unless, and this comes to your now to your point about mm-hmm. unless we can distinguish between the relations between objects that that's what allows us to see how we what makes the object what it is is how we understand the object in relationship to other objects. So it's not is that, and I think this is tied to the social idea too that it's not mm-hmm. in isolation that we can perceive the object. Instead, we have to move out beyond perception and look at how the object relates to others in their difference. And so back Mm. to your, now finally to your example of the Uh, phenomenology, uh, is that I can understand my copy of the phenomenology in relationship to yours as different only because I look at the two objects in their relationship, right? Like, Mm -hmm, so, mm so if they didn't have, so if, so if there was not the relationship, we wouldn't have no way to make sense of difference, especially when things appear like they're the same. So that's the key thing. So so something can appear the same, like both those copies appear the same, but they exist in a relationship against each other, relative to each other, and that's how we know that they're different. So that's what—we're that that's we're already moving— to mm-hmm. the edge of perception, right? So perception is confined to objects. So once we get into this relations and difference, we mm-hmm. have to move beyond perception.
0: That's really great. So what he doesn't do, and this would be actually kind of interesting, like you could imagine a an entirely like non-Hegelian pursuit of like these first two things, which is someone saying that actually sense certainty is the most true the most true right it's 100 it's 100% true that's the conclusion they come to and with perception how do they know the difference between their book and your book it's because they completely understand their book in isolation from all others as a particular right and right. that's that is that'd that be the the non hegelian uh thing to the conclusion to come to, to. and i think like there is a way of a very important way in which you can see that, that, um, that it's, that it's wrong because this is sort of like, um, you know, if all like the, because the, the question isn't like, if you played three card Monty with my copy of the book and your copy and another one, would I be able to tell the difference? Like that's, that's not the question. That's, that's like the sense certainty version of that question. Right. The question is, do I understand that there's a relationship? Like the, the question is really just, I know that my book is there at all. And it doesn't matter if I pick up yours by accident. It's just that like, there is a relationship between the objects where like, you know, like everyone has experienced this, like uh, in, in high school or, or middle school, at, if you went to public school and everyone has old beat up copies of the same freaking books and you grab another you grab someone else's by accident and then it's like oh that's not mine and like it's like you just have plutonium in your hands right. you got to got to give you got to give it to someone right. else <laughs> and i mean i think like th- that's um i don't know i think that that's that's tied up in this we're like uh it's it's basically akin to, because again these objects are social and like that moment um, which like I actually vividly remember happening to me in the sixth grade. I, st- I took someone's book, like I took someone's book and my own and I had it for a little bit and she thought I stole it from her, but right. really I would just like, they were just the same books and I just right. like, I had right. it by accident. Right. Um, And like, that's what it is. Like it's akin to like to theft to like, like, like the, the pilfering of an object because it's like a violation of the like social relationship between those objects.
1: Yeah. I think that's so great, Ryan, that you're, that you if you under that you could imagine sense certainty and perception written by John Locke right and then, oh, yeah. and then it's totally yeah. different it's totally yeah. like it's it's a celebration rather of both of these <laughs> moments like sense certainty yeah. is the most true and perception mm-hmm. does like the sound common per- sense, sense of perception really does apprehend things as they are right and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we don't have to make that move to relation and i think that's the like i see to, i think that's the real key hegelian gesture right is to always mm-hmm. see the way in which there's a relationship at work and it's not just something in isolation i mean that i think you could almost say that's the essence of
0: hegel's dialectical philosophy is to yes. always
1: see the way in which the relationship is working
0: so i to i want to nail that down i had someone uh, who i know listens to um a lot of the episodes say say to me that um that uh, she felt like dialectic is a word that we, that we use often, but she wasn't sure if she totally understood it, which I thought of as a personal failing. So I want to nail that down right now. The um, cause this, and this is you, this is me quoting you back to you and to everybody else is the interdependence of things on their opposites would be like an initial and really important way of understanding uh, dialectics. And we could even move like within the framework of this conversation to also understand uh, the dialectics as the interdependence of things like on their, on their relation to right, others. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right.
1: Like, uh, Lukács says, "It's is really, I, I loved his definition. He says, dialectics says nothing else than that. Every, every isolated thing must be related to the whole. Right. So, yeah. so that's, I mean, th- that can be misleading, I think, because it doesn't, you don't get the necessary sense of negativity in that, but right, right, right. but nonetheless, I think that's if you think about it in terms of negativity and the re, and relationships and relationality, then mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a good that's a good definition.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Uh, okay, I want to make sure are we are we ready to take on force? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So as as we kind of hinted at, this is I think I think it's safe to say. So mm-hmm. so Hegel has a has a footnote in the greater logic that's about a hundred pages on differential <laughs> calculus. <laughs> uh-huh. And that that's pretty hard for me. But yeah. I think this is maybe the hardest thing he ever wrote. I uh-huh. think it's the hardest thing he ever wrote. I had uh I I've told you this before but I had yeah. this, this great student of mine her name is Veronica Davis and she's a, she, for her that math problem it was that was easy cuz she was a All math right. she's a great math student <laughs> and uh she she read the phenomenology on her own with me and she comes in hasn't had any problem reads the first two sections fine she's like I read the first those were easy so I just have one or two questions about force of understanding and I just I busted out laughing. I'm like, yeah, like every great Hegel scholar is puzzling over what he's trying to do here. So yeah. uh yeah. yeah, it's really not clearly written at all. I think you
0: can say. <laughs> right? It's tricky. I think um but I think we have to I mean as we've uh I, I don't think we necessarily intended this, but like as we've kind of uh performed the Hegelian method of like, of like, you know, moving through an idea. Um, I think we need to, to do that with this section before we can move on to like the more understandable bullet points <laughs> that are like the, uh, the, like the consequences and like sort of like the results of it. So Yeah I agree. All right. So let's like, take, uh, take us through, take me through.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so we've gotten to the point at the end of perception that, we can't view objects in their isolation. And so mm-hmm. understanding really is nothing for Hegel but viewing objects in their relationality to each other. So that's understanding. Mm-hmm. He gets to force because he thinks, if you want to understand how objects relate to each other, you have to understand that relationship as force. And he's, he's relying openly on Newton
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and the notion of gravity especially. So so force is oh, which his,
0: just really quickly by the way, I there's no anti gravity people. I find that really interesting. Anyway, continue. I'm it like is flat interesting. Earth. But there's no <laughs> flat gravity folks. All right, no, sorry,
1: that, please continue. That's good. Okay, <laughs> um, so so he so force is how he understands relations at this point, and he has this great line about it's there's there's a way in which force is the most Hegelian concept because force is this thing that is. Never anywhere, and it's always becoming its other, right? Like it's always mm. in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the process of becoming what it's not, and that's what Hegel thinks is the concept. So, there's a way yeah. in which force is the concept for Hegel. That's what I find that a kind of interesting thing, and I think why maybe force has such an outsized importance in this section of phenomenology because you could imagine him just talking about understanding without talking about force at all. And, and, right. and the section might be a lot easier to understand. So that's, uh, that. so I think it's, he likes, he even calls force the unconditioned universal. So that's a, mm. that's pretty, you know, he has a lot of esteem for it because that's, for him, universe, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, it's kind of interesting that like, um, maybe, because I, I don't know, I think that, Dialectical movement would be the phrase, but it, it maybe should be force. Dialectical force,
1: force. Something, yeah. something
0: has a dialectical force. I mean, yeah. that, that 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 seems like more, maybe more in keeping with what, because maybe more in keeping with what Hegel thinks. Like, I, if, I think
1: so. Except, you know, the problem with force is that it seems so detached from any from our agency, right? Like, yeah, it's that's true. It, like, like I think force when he's, I, 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 force is like is our way of seeing dialectics out in the world, but mm-hmm. it doesn't yet, I mean, this is part of what we're getting to through this section, <laughs> that it doesn't yet get to, that it's our activity that even makes us capable of seeing force, right? So that's, okay. I, I, I'll, I'll get, we'll, we'll get to that together. But I think that that the the, the point is just this, this crucial first step is to see the way in which all relations are undergirded by force. And then... Mm-hmm. Force understanding section also makes this crucial division between the world of appearances and what he calls the supersensible world beyond. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that break between those two is how he then comes to understand how forces operate. So in the supersensible world, we have the law, like the law of gravitation mm-hmm. governs how forces operate within the world of appearances. So there has to be, Hegel thinks, this split between appearances and things in themselves, which of course Kant makes. Um, but Hegel follows him in this force understanding section in order to understand the initial way in which there's a distinction between how things, how forces appear to manifest themselves and the underlying laws that govern their interaction.
0: Okay. So would an example be to, cause I think that that was like, I think that's, that's good. And that, that's sort of sensible. It, it is sensible. Um, super sensible even is that, um, like r- right now I'm recording uh, in a computer. It's on a desk. And what I see is the computer. I see the screen. I, you know, like I have the, the garage band thing is up. Right. Okay. But right. there's obviously there is an atomic structure to my computer. Correct. That I cannot, I, I cannot see, but I know that it's there. And also I know that gravity is forcing it to stay on my table. So, like, I, what I what I can see, what I can what I can perceive is that the these the way these two objects are relating to each other, in this in in their appearance, there is another level to which they are also relating that is beyond uh, appearance, that is beyond uh, my like a, a, ability to see it. But the and this is the important point for him, right? It's the this. My ability to see the appearance and not—I don't know—be like driven mad by not being able to see the atomic structure um, is about the split in Lacan would say the split in the subject, but like this is a um, a split in consciousness. Is that do I have that right? Like is, is right, like right. I mean up?
1: that's a that's a he, yeah, exactly. I mean that's the huge leap that this section takes. That 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 he he comes to see the way in which. We could that the split like I said this to you before that what he's actually trying to do. So so Kant famously says that all consciousness is self-consciousness, so that mm-hmm. anytime we're aware of things, that mm-hmm. we're also aware of ourself being aware of things, right? Like this is <laughs> okay. this is what Kant thinks. Think Kant mm-hmm. just thinks this is a this is actually comes back to our thing about axioms. Like for Kant, yeah. that's an axiom of consciousness. Right. That all consciousness is self-consciousness. Now here again, Hegel just isn't content. He's Kantian, actually. He thinks that's true, but he's not content with just posing it axiomatically. Instead, mm-hmm. he wants to, in this section, prove it. And that's why I think that's so, the, section, the second half of the section is so dense because mm-hmm. what he's really trying to do is prove that our, what you just said, like our ability to see a split between the world of appearances and the world of things in themselves, the world in mm-hmm. which you know that we the world that we experience and this deeper world that governs the appearances that mm. varies our very capacity for experiencing that split is emerges out of our own split of self-consciousness and so <laughs> So that when we're experiencing that split in the world, we're really experiencing, this is his ultimate idea, Yeah, we're really Mm -hmm. experiencing this split in ourselves. And so this is, as you've been saying, like he's so... uh, Interconnected with the psychoanalytic project, and no right. more than here, right? Like that, yeah. that, the notion that the split in the self is the thing that makes us able to distinguish between the way things appear and the way things are in themselves. Like it's incredible, right? Like, that he would, he would come to that. Like, what an what an insight that is! I just, it's, yeah, I think it's just really like. This section is incredibly hard, but I I almost think it's one of the great m- moments of insight in the entire history of human thought. Right, like to to link our ability to distinguish between appearances and things in themselves to our own the split in yeah. our subjectivity.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating, and it's fascinating to come to that conclusion without like a notion of the unconscious, right? Or right, you know, right, or even right. or even psyche you know? No, I know. I I know. He has nothing like that. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, that's where, uh, you know, that's where maybe you have uh, some support for phenomenology of mind, right? Like, because you, you could make the argument that this, this split that Hegel is talking about that is so important and uh, foundational in the subject is actually one of psyche and one of mind. It's just like, you know, he doesn't have those those words necessarily, for a, it, it, but
1: yeah, no, oh, it's such a great point by you, Ryan. I think that the, like if this section almost justifies the Bailey translation of Geist as mind, right? Like, the, yeah, the, yeah. you almost you almost if you don't have that, you almost don't understand this. Like, If you're just thinking of Geist as spirit, mm-hmm. it's harder to make sense of this section because you're right. Like he's just analyzing the way in which this split within the psyche is the precondition for our experience of the split within objects.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Wow. I, you know what? Yeah. You
0: just put you just put this section in a sentence. I didn't think we were gonna get there. But that's <laughs> that's the <laughs> I think that that's that's really, really, really good. And and that's yeah, that that that's Hegel's big, big important uh point here is that like that there is um again, just to go back to like the word interdependence, I mean, isn't that like this is also where Um, I mean, this would be a good section to also think about like object oriented ontology and like in where like Hegel is positioned in that, uh, debate is that there is no, there is no separation of, of subjectivity, like from the, the object that like from which you can like withdraw, like the, the object can never be, the object can never be additive of subjectivity because it is always interdependent and reflective of it.
1: Right, right. That's such a good point. Like, I would, would Graham, so in in that introduction to object oriented ontology, Graham Harmon uses the Battle of Vicksburg as his example of an object, Mm -hmm. right? And would he be able to, he wouldn't, Hegel's point would be, look, if there wasn't this split in the subject, you would not even be able to talk about the Battle of Vicksburg in terms of its relationship to the rest of the Civil War or, what Marx called it, the War of Northern Aggression. Or no, the War of Southern Aggression. Southern yeah. aggression. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 how did I get that backwards? That was such a uncon- so funny, terrible unconscious slip on my part. I'm not even from the South. That's funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they um, still, yeah. teachers, there are teachers in Southern schools that still call it that, So the, the War of Northern Aggression. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, no, here's yeah. what Marx's term was. Oh, what, Marx, 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 Marx called it the War of the, he called it the Slaveholders' Revolt. That's what he thought uh. we should
0: call it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. The slaveholders yeah. were... Yeah, okay. But well, anyway, and, I've
1: lost my point. My point is... The no, point was
0: Harmon... Well, the, the point that Harmon is able to take a battle and refer it to an object at all is uh, like proof of the split in the subject.
1: Right, which is the precondition for his whole object-oriented ecology. so So the, so that, that you have to... The attempt to... to devalues subjectivity which is what Mm -hmm. the object all the whole new materialist movement is about the devaluing of subjectivity Mm -hmm. that is only possible through (laughs) the very effect of subjectivity itself right like that's in a certain sense that's hegel's argument in this section which again it's it's interesting that they that they they always take kant as their villain and never hegel because if they took hegel they he could they Their project would fall apart, right so yeah, like, yeah. I, I it's funny i I wrote a little essay on them, and I said, I quoted this Hitchcock thing about how the villain always makes the picture, you know, and I right. said they just picked the wrong if they would have picked a better villain, they'd have had a really good picture, but they they have a bad picture because they picked the bad villain, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, and I don't know it seems like. To if you like, and again, I mean, this actually comes back to our like sort of axiomatic thing is that like if you are following along with Hegel and you agree with these, I'll use the word premise. If you agree with these premises, and and you're following him along, I think he doesn't leave room for the ability to think uh, subject and object in terms of independence.
1: Right. Right. No, that's absolutely true. In fact, he shows how any attempt to think that way always leads to his position, right? That's the whole point, right? (laughs) Like you think you're holding, like that would just be the point of object-oriented ontology. He would, he could do a phenomenology of that and show how it thinks it's, it's, it's talking about objects apart from subjects and it's not really at all, right? Like it's really, it's really got a whole system of subjectivity worked in its approach, worked up in its approach to objects. As independent,
0: I mean that would be really interesting to, to also see, like, um, you know, like I could, I could also imagine, like, uh, like Hegel, like reading Jane Bennett's vibrant matter, and then thinking about force as like this term, like against the the, the way that she uses the the word vibrant, right? Like, absolutely, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's yeah. sort of something. There's something interesting there, like like the and. You know, that's all. That, it's almost like I mean, actually, you know, it's kind of funny. Is that like the uh, the non-Hegelian like approach that we like sort of uh, uh, fictionalized, like from from like Locke. Like for this section, it kind of it, it does exist in like object-oriented ontology. Like, and you can see, you know, in negation, uh, Hegel's point. If you you know, if one understands like their point, you know, through through negation, you understand the Hegel's point. Yeah, I did, Brian in same picture. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a great point because I never really made that connection between this particular section and object-oriented ontology, but I think you're exactly right. Like this is really this is where the ground they stand on. Like they, yeah. they because especially that notion, you're right, of of, of the vibrant matter, like they're really mm-hmm. invested in force and mm-hmm. and what they do is it's as if they stop at the first; they don't go to the second half of the section, right? Like they yeah, stop kind of at funny. the at the at the halfway point and don't get to the way in which self all that consciousness of forces is dependent upon uh, the division within subjectivity.
0: Yeah, mm. that's pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I thought uh, <laughs> I think I'm surprised. Maybe it's just because we talked this through before, like in uh, before we did this. But I am surprised at the um, at the. I feel like we're at the. Are we at the end of the section? Is yeah, this? we
1: are. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you're right. I'm surprised too. I thought we, we we talked about this beforehand. We're like, well, we'll probably get just through sense certainty. So yeah. we probably have not done justice to each of the probably sections. Not, yeah. But but uh, so that will be feel free to write us the emails and say how terrible we did with all those sections but um but I feel like we did I mean I I think we covered what we wanted to cover in terms of yeah. each of the three sections and I think you know it and it's also you can see where the point that Hegel's getting to like if all if all consciousness is already self-consciousness then the next move in phenomenology has to be the phenomenology of self-consciousness and how yeah. that experience works itself out. So I think we're going to do a series of these and kind of work yeah. our way through the phenomenology, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this um, maybe, well, I don't know, maybe alongside we um, – the I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll put, put this out there now. We're also going to look at like um, uh, big – because we talked about um, – zizek in this um uh podcast and like for like for his um like intellectual in, uh, intervention and one of the things that we're planning to do is to take a look at like three books like in like three book um i don't know what would be like ex- not, not excerpts because we're gonna talk about all three of them but like of, or for sections of his like progression of thought because like i've if you have listened to this podcast like i've been critical of uh, certain like political and uh statements and like social justice statements he's made and also just like the, like the, the, the the perversity of like some of the, the response that, that he makes in different, um, different forums, like, you know, see previous episodes for hearing me talk about that. But one thing that I would like absolutely, uh, never quibble with is the, like the intervention into the, like the Hegelian and the, and the Lacanian and bringing it together in the way that he does. And also then to look at his own trajectory of thought. So I think this episode, like is a nice um marks as a as a nice point to like proceed into like two um interrelated series like one on phenomenology of spirit itself and then also to look at like Slavoj's larger uh corpus of work
1: right right i think that's true and i think that there's a way in which obviously you can't understand slavoj without understanding hegel although that's i don't think that's always the precondition uh, upon which people start to embark on his work. And maybe it shouldn't be. But, that, like, but that's
0: the, well, but I actually think that's is the, this is the reason, like, I think that's where, if you do not, if you do not understand the, and maybe there's a criticism of, of him, like he doesn't always insist on this or, or doesn't explain it in this way. But like, if you don't understand his background to the things that he's saying, then it just like, it just, he just seems like a pointless provocateur. You know, like, uh, and and I and that's like I, I think couldn't re- like really couldn't be farther from the truth. Even though there may be isolated incidents where he is just being a prov- provocateur, but
1: you know, right? I mean, he has his own like perverse side, <laughs> that's for sure. But yeah. I do think, like, I, I, yeah, the the contribution is is incredible, and I I think um, it's especially when you look at Hegel. I think it becomes clear. So I think it's it's interesting that it's become so clear in this episode that, and you've pointed it out that. This this absolute, just baldly apparent link between what Hegel's doing and what psychoanalysis is doing and the very obviousness of it is due to, I think, as I said before, to Slavoj's intervention. So that's, yeah. you know, I think it's very It's important. hard to
0: see it in any other way. Right. Yeah. right. It's a, right. If, right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's,
1: once once you see it this way, it's hard to see it any other way.
0: Isn't that like that's that's um I'm paraphrasing Freud at the end of uh um Civilization as Discontent, he's referring to the drive. It's like I like I put these uh words down um what is it? Like he says initially as something but I've come to not be able to see things in any other way. Like yeah, like, he, yeah. Yeah, like his, his so I think of, he
1: says like speculatively or something like uh, that. Right? That's it. Yeah. 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 No, yeah.
0: you're right. But that's it yeah. yeah so it's it's hard it's hard to look at it uh, in another way and it because it does because it, it, it just it's not that you have to you don't twist it you know like the example i love in twelfth night when um uh malvolio sees the fake letter written toward him yeah. and uh in um uh, mariah's handwriting and uh and he 'Cause it's to M A O I, right? And, and he just right, says right. like, Oh, M begins my name and then A, but oh, it doesn't follow. And then he says, But if I crush it a little, <laughs> right? It like it's the letter is for him and it's a love letter for him. And the, the, right. she finally right. finally loves him. I, I I we don't that's the I think what testifies to the, the kind of intervention that Slavoy makes because like we're not doing that. It just it seems evident. Right. Right? Like right. and but yeah. it wouldn't be. Had he not done that, so right. that's uh, yeah. Right. So that's, well, the, the
1: the point of that is it wasn't evident to anyone before 1989, which is <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So I, yeah, so the lesson I think is pretty clear, right? Just read the yeah. consciousness section of Hegel and and spend a long time reading Force of Understanding because we did,
0: because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Even though may, maybe the shortest section in the podcast, but yes, that's that's absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, over and out, Ryan.
0: Over and out, Todd.